Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. You know, the typical fishing guide puts in a few years in his or her 20s, realizes how demanding the job actually is, often becomes frustrated uh, with the blind date aspect of the gig, and heads off in search of something more lucrative and economically efficient. But for those guys that decide to make a career out of it, they develop a base of return clientele that become like friends and uh, even family. Um, it's then that the job of guiding becomes truly enjoyable as you're out doing what you love to do with like-minded folks, sharing adventures, and uh, helping them improve as anglers. Uh, would you say that's accurate, Mr. Staples? Uh, Justin, yeah, I sure would. Um, you know, a lot of fishing guides get into the fishing business because they enjoy fishing, but uh, the end result is not you fishing. It's about providing that experience for your customers. 
Well, right on, Brad. Um, you've been doing this on the Deschutes for, for as long as I can remember. Um, and I'm sure that, uh, that over the years, uh, you've had uh, some adventures and some misadventures and all sorts of foibles out there. Um, do you have a story you could share with us? Well, I do. Um, I'm not going to share one, though, about the Deschutes, if that's okay with you. I was listening. I've listened to your podcast in the past, of course. And uh, but then to brush up for um, our meeting this morning, I was listening to some yesterday while I was out uh, doing some yard work. And one of the things that some of the people were talking about was permit. Fishing. Oh, sure. Great. Yeah. Shoot, man. And so if I can tell you a story about that. So I'm very fortunate. Uh, the first time I went to Belize was in 1987. And uh, through the years, I've spent thousands of hours fishing for permit. And um, I did manage to get one in, in Belize. And um you know, nice fish and all that. And of course, it doesn't matter what size it is. I mean, right. a permit's a permit. So, um, but anyway, um, I wasn't really, you know, I mean, if a permit's there, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to cast to it, but um, I, there's a lot of other species that I would rather go for. But um, so one of the, the, my favorite species, actually one of my favorite saltwater species is tarpon. And I've been fortunate to catch uh, little tarpon, baby tarpon and, and big tarpon in different uh, locations around the world. But um, I was going uh, to Campeche, Mexico with a really good friend of mine by the name of uh, Raul Casaneta. And he has an operation called Tarpon Town. And I was going to be going there with some clients. But prior, I was going to go over to Ascension Bay, which is about six hours or so driving from Campeche, and uh, to check out this lodge that we were going to represent. And uh, Raul has friends in Ascension Bay. And he says, hey, I'd like to go with you. And I saw oh, that'd be great. So anyway, he picked me up at uh, Cancun and we drove down, we checked out uh, the lodge and, um, you know, I had a nice time and all that. And uh, so then we stayed at another lodge, uh, these friends of his. And um, so the next morning, uh, a couple of young kids, and when I say kids, very young guides, but they were definitely uh, knew what was going on. Um, we just told them that, hey, we weren't interested in, in fishing for bonefish. And, um, you know, we just wanted to concentrate on permit. And uh, so they said, okay. So anyway, Raul and I are in the boat. He speaks really, really good English. And uh, so we're driving for 45 minutes or something. And they stopped the boat. And the two guys are really excited. And uh, they go, hey, there's some permit over there. And, and they spoke pretty good English. And uh, they said, there's some permit over there. So Raul and I are sitting there. And I said, Raul, you go ahead. And he says, no, Brad, you're a guest in my country. You go ahead. And I said, no, it's not that big a deal. You go ahead. Well, the guides are freaking out because there's these permit. We're just, <laughs> you know, a little chill in the boat. And uh, so anyway, I go, okay. So I, I, I get out of the boat and a guide and I take off and we're wading through waist, waist deep water. And uh, there's a couple permit there. And I make a cast, nothing. I make another cast. The fish just swims over, grabs the, the fly and fish on. And I told, you know, the guide's pretty excited. I go, you know what? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. I said, I'm just going to break it off. <laughs> I go, no, no, no. I go, no, this isn't the way permit fishing is, you know? And uh, so anyway. Um, you didn't break it off. No, I didn't break it okay. off. <laughs> no, He'd have had a heart attack. Yeah, I was just giving him a rough time because, uh, of course, he was very excited. And, I mean, deep down, I was excited, too. But the bottom line is, is that, hey, it was just too easy. You know, you just, just, just jump out of the boat, make two casts, and you're hooked up. You know, that's normally not how it happens. 
Uh, like I said, right. I spent thousands of hours. Um, well, maybe not thousands, hundreds, hundreds of hours uh, fishing for a permit. So anyway, I guess that's my story to start to, the podcast off with this morning. So um, we can go from there. You had been permit fishing prior to catching that fish? Oh, yeah, many a times. Um, I think I've been to Belize, uh, well, prior to that time. No, maybe, yeah, um, probably 11 to 13 times I've been to Belize, Ascension Bay. That was my second trip there. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, the last time that I went permit fishing was down in Ascension Bay, south of Tulum somewhere, and we had uh, rented this little palapa right on the beach. Man, I got up in the morning, I looked out and there's permit all over, all over this flat. And, you know, I went out and I hassled them and I scared them all away and none of them ate. And then I spent like the next five days trying to figure out when they would come in. And of course, going through my whole fly box, trying to find something that they would eat. And there were some big permit that were showing up in this one part of the flat. And, um, you know, the, the locals down there were kind of taking pity on me. They'd helped me out. They'd given me some some like sardinas to try to catch the cuda and and um they were they were trying to steer me in the right direction and um the last day a couple of the dudes came out with hand lines and live crabs and there was probably i don't know six or eight really nice permit together in this group and they start chucking live crabs at them and i'm like all right this is awesome this is going to be game on and not one of those permit ate the live crab Oh, wow. Yeah. Usually, like you say, that's almost an automatic deal. Well, that's what I, that's what I had come to understand too. And, uh, no, they all refused them. And that actually made me feel a little better. I was like, all right, they don't eat. Sure. Sure. So Brad, uh, getting back to the Deschutes, um, are you in your fourth decade of, of guiding that river? Well, almost. So I started in 1983 running whitewater raft trips out of Mop. And, and then from there that, that, um, I was able to pick up work running gear boats for the, um, the, the guides and outfitters that were running overnight camp trips, uh, both on the fishing side and, um, the, uh, the whitewater rafting side. Uh, in 1984, myself and another guy hooked up as a business. We have Western fishing adventures and, um, so we were running some trout trips up above from Worm Springs down to Moppin during the salmon fly hatch, which is about three to four weeks doing that. We fished other places, North Santa Am, Winter Steelhead and Nestucca, Fall Chinook on the Nestucca. Um, but it was pretty much the Deschutes was um, our deal. Uh, I had also guided uh, on the Kenai River in Alaska for a king salmon from 94 to 2001. Uh, I, I got right on the end of of that amazing fishery and it was um interesting to see a fairly quick decline um you know as far as catching fish that were 50 pounds and larger to all of a sudden down to five fish that were 50 and then one year i realized wow i didn't i didn't get a 50 pounder in the boat um hmm. Still, still, it was, it was an amazing, amazing experience. But back to the Deschutes, uh, I operate a, I don't run any more trout trips up above. I operate a, a jet boat from the mouth of the river, just about 12 miles east of the Dallas. And, um, I retired from overnight camp trips. I think it was about seven years ago. I have a 90 day, <laughs> not, yeah, 90, 90 day season. Um, I still had trips will start this year, July 10th. 
and I'm filled every day that I could fish, <clears throat> excuse me, through October 29th. Uh, the Marine Board regulates our use with the jet boats. We work 10 days on and then have four days off. And that's whether you're a guided boat or a private jet boat. Uh, so basically it's every other Thursday through Sunday, there's no jet boats allowed on the lower 25 miles of the Deschutes River. That restriction ends the third weekend of September and I normally am booked about 33 days straight. I'm very fortunate and blessed um, I have all repeat clients and uh, by Christmas of this past year, my 90 day steelhead season was filled. Wow. So to get, uh, to get on your boat, you got to plan well in advance at this point or, or hope somebody cancels. <laughs> yeah, I have a waiting list because how it works is that everybody gets their same days. And so I would give you a call prior to Christmas and say, Hey, Justin, how you been? You go, man, I'm living the dream. And <laughs> okay, are you going to be able to, are you going to be able to come back the second Tuesday of August? And you go, Hey, man, yeah, we're on. I go, okay, great. Justin's in. Well, you might bring new people with you. But the person that I'm making contact with is the same. Gotcha. And if for some reason you go, hey, um, you know, I've been coming on Tuesdays and I really want to have a Friday. I go, yeah, there is no Friday. Because the guy or the lady that has the Friday, they're coming back. So it's Tuesday. And um, so, yeah, I just have a waiting list. Uh, as people cancel, then I go down the list and say, hey, I, I got this day open. And hopefully, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, Tuesday's not going to work. It's like, well, that's a, that's the day I have open. Right. It's like, well, I want to go on a Saturday. I go, well, no, I don't have a Saturday. I have Tuesday. <laughs> um, last year, I was very fortunate. I lost nine trips due to COVID, uh, which is either a corporation, you know, companies not able to or not willing to spend the money for the trips. Um, or I had a few people that, uh, didn't feel comfortable about flying. And so I just go down my list and contact people and go, Hey, if you can go on this day, it's available. And I need you, I need you to let me know within 24 hours because I'm not contacting 10 people and then have all 10 people get back to me. So it's just one at a time, but I was able to fill all those, all those days. So I, I feel very fortunate about that. Well, that's awesome. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's kind of the fruits of uh, of almost 40 years of labor on the river, I guess. Yeah, it's been uh, really good. And, and you mentioned at the beginning is that, uh, you know, I'm, the, I'm there to help people catch fish. I have personally not landed a steelhead on the Deschutes, I, I don't know, probably at least seven years because pretty much every day of my season, I'm fishing uh, with clients. Uh, of course, I hook fish showing people what to do uh, and then hand the rod off but as far as me uh hooking one start to finish hasn't happened in many years uh i i get a lot of pleasure by helping people and um you know seeing the excitement that they get from you know being able to catch a, a really nice steelhead or you know bonus fish in the fall or our chinooks Right on. Yeah. I mean, that's the quality of a good guide. That's not, that's, it's not for everybody. You know, some, some guys uh, just can't put the rod down and, uh, and then they get like frustrated if people aren't doing it right or losing fish or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's just, uh, that's, that's not a recipe for longevity in the guiding game, unfortunately. <laughs> right. And so people ask me, they say, well, why don't you fish? And I go, well, you know, I'm trying to pay attention to the four to the six of you that I have. And the last thing I want to do is have you not catch any fish and go back to work 
and your buddy says, Hey man, how was your trip yesterday? And it's like, Oh, well I didn't get any, but the guide caught two. Yeah. Right. So my job is, my job is to help them catch a fish. That's what it's about. I'm, I'm not there to catch one. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, on that note, last year, um, I had a guide day and there was this, these guys were decent anglers and, and we were catching some fish. We were having a good time. And there was this, this nice brown that was tucked up underneath this undercut bank. And I saw him a couple of times and I, you know, I had this guy go over him for 30 minutes with, with everything I could think of and the fish just wouldn't move. And we saw him a couple of times, he wouldn't eat anything. And then, you know, the, the guy's like, all right, you, you gotta, you gotta try to get him. And I, so I took the streamer rod from him and you had to cast way up river and stack man to, to, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't in an easy spot and sure he ate it. And, and I got them and, and those guys were just thrilled, but I didn't really feel that great about it just for that reason, you know, like, uh, oh yeah, that was a cool day. The guy got a nice fish. <laughs> right. But, but then the thing is too, Justin, is that you were able to show them what to do and that that fish would eat. And so it wasn't like, you know, you knock the guy into the river and go, here, let me, <laughs> let me grab your rod. <laughs> right. You know, they you know. asked you. And so, yeah. um, yes, I mean, I guess the takeaway on that is, is that you were able to hopefully teach them something and let them understand that, yeah, that fish was catchable. Right. True. Good point. Yep. And it was fun. I'm not going to lie to you. It was cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you've been down there. Uh, I, I think when I, when I started working and guiding down there, it was you and one other jet boat guy that I would see down below Harris Canyon. Now, Mike Smith would run up above there and he always had lots of, you know, uh, lots of fly anglers with him. Um, but, uh, but it was just you and Grant, uh, on the lower river. And I hadn't been to the Deschutes in a long time. I went back last October fished for a couple of days and um i saw several uh jet boat guides that were catering to to fly anglers now so the scene's a little different down there yeah so it's, it's changed a lot through the years um there is only a few of us that are actually fishing lures and um most everyone especially all the younger fishing guides are all using flies and um, so my business model is four to six people a day and I generally use lures out of 90 days. I probably have about five that are fly only trips. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I, I do this. I make my living this way and I charge $240 a person. I have a minimum of four people, which would be 960 for the day. And then up to six is 1440. And so most of the fly anglers are taking two, maybe three anglers, and they're charging around $700 a day. So I mentioned before that we're 10 on four off and um, not to be uh, cocky about it, but my paycheck is a little different, uh, you know, making a thousand to $1,500 a day um, during that 10 day period compared to taking a couple guys fly angling. And when you, um, you know, then add that up over the course of the season, uh, there's a big difference. And so uh, it's bodies and days. A lot of people in the in the guide business don't understand the math. And, uh, you know, it's how many people you put in your boat and how many days a year you do it. And um, so, that, I mean, that's that's how you how you make your living. And um, this time of year, I'm not guiding on the Deschutes River, uh, even though there's trout fishing going, but I, I don't have trout clientele. 
Um, let's just go back to February. Well, I can't take six guys on these shoots in February and um, make that money. So since it's a seasonal business, it all has to happen from, for me, um, say middle of June through the first of November. And uh, prior to uh, taking steelhead anglers on the river, I run my jet boat and I do the scenic jet boat trips. And so I start at the mouth of the river and I run 25 miles up to Max Canyon and then turn around and come back down halfway, barbecue a lunch and run out. And those trips allow me to be on the river. And um, what I do is I stop along the way and I talk about just river issues, whether it be current events or historic um, you know, points of interest. Uh, we try to find animals. I had a real good success rate last year. I was able to see bighorn sheep every day and I have a spotting scope and tripod and binoculars in the boat. And most people, uh, have not seen a bighorn sheep and especially when you're two hours away from Portland it's a really amazing area so um, I'll start the scenic trips June 12th and um, and then like I mentioned earlier Steelhead will start uh, July 10th and now a brief message from our sponsors here at CDUSA we have owned nearly every brand of fly rod throughout our 30-year careers as guides and globetrotting anglers when we discovered Composite Development's flagship fly rods, the XL2 and the ICT2, we uncovered a secret harbored by the Kiwis for four decades. Born from Japanese Torrey, CD's unique manufacturing process involves winding the graphite fibers inside the blank, negating heavy thread wraps at the end of each section, creating a lighter and more durable fly rod. Check out the XLS2 and the ICT2 at your local CD USA dealer or go to cd-fishing.us and remember to go fishing. Right on, man. Yeah, the Deschutes is a magical place. There's not too many spots where you can sit in one location and see bighorn sheep, elk, mule deer, bobcats. Um, it's just, it's got so much chuckers, of course. Um, there's just such a variety of wildlife down there now it's amazing yeah and what's what's been really uh amazing is the last uh, i can't remember five to seven years we've been seeing turkeys so oh, that's right. that's added to it as well i don't know where they came from but all of a sudden there they are and then that's really cool uh to see them and, and they're uh, going to be polite about this they're not very scared or smart i mean they, they'll go right up next to you as we're fishing they, they just walk right past us so uh, that's really special for the people. And one of the things back to the, the fly angling, it's, it's really changed on the Deschutes with spay rods, two-handed rods. And I don't want to knock that at all because I mentioned, you know, I fish with lures and, and people ask me, they go, well, Brad, when you do go fishing, how do you fish? And it's like, well, when I fish, I use flies, uh, most of the time. Um, but you know, for my business program, it, it's, it's bodies and days, as I mentioned, and I can take six people and we can go to one spot and we can all fish there and then rotate through and, and try another one. Well, with fly anglers, as you know, Justin, you require more water. And, uh, so in the old days, I guess when things weren't quite as busy, I could go to a spot and put, you know, two anglers on one side of the river and two anglers on the other side and, and have my boat and my binoculars and, I could be working with one of the anglers and keep an eye on all three of the others. And if somebody hooks up, you know, run upstream or downstream, hop in the boat and, and go help them. But as it is now, uh, trying to find room to make that happen uh, is, I'm just going to say, been really frustrating for me on most days. Yeah, that's a, it's a totally different dynamic, you know, with the, the, the influx of 
folks with spay rods, uh, even when I left the river, it was, it was just kind of, I thought it was at a saturation point. Um, and you know, like you said, nothing against anyone that wants to get out and learn how to fish and, you know, learn with the spay rod. It's definitely a, a tool that makes fly fishing for steelhead, um, much more accessible for, for most folks and for folks that are really good at it, they're deadly with spay rods. But, um, yeah, it just, to me, it, it, I took away from, from the enjoyment of fishing on the river, um, and finding spots just because there was such a volume of anglers that had descended upon it. And there's only so much water down there. And, um, yeah, for, for you guys, you can't bounce around near as much as you used to be able to. Those runs get all taken up. Yeah, it's just been a challenge. Uh, and one of the things, and again, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad or trying to against, uh, you know, two-handed rods, spay rods or, or fly angling in general. One of the things I have noticed through the years is, is that, you know, a lot of the, the clients or anglers or others that you talk to, they start out hopefully as a young kid, which is, you know, very important. We need to get young people into the sport. Um, and I'm really glad to see this new movement with women getting in cause, cause that's definitely going to help. And, um, so, you know, kids start out and they're, they're fishing with worms or bait or whatever. And then as they progress, they say, okay, now I want to try flies. And I believe that they're a better angler, a better overall, um, angler from doing that kind of fishing. And one of the things too, um, with getting kids um, and women into the sport, um, as they age and uh, hopefully they have a love for the outdoors and a love for fishing, then they become uh, politically active and financially active in trying to preserve the resource and help out with that in in many different ways and so it's important to get our young people uh outside uh on the water and whether it you know on the water fishing or on the water uh boating or uh hiking around uh hunting whether it be big game or birds uh it's important to get kids outside as we're aware of right absolutely um and like you mentioned, most of us started off with spinners and bait, and that's what I've. That's how I'm starting my kids off fishing, and um, and get them to love it um, when they're little. Obviously, catching fish is is more important to them. But um, also, yeah, you learn how to read water, you learn uh, all the little nuances of fishing. So when you do decide to inevitably progress, you know whether it's whether it's with a fly rod or or, um, or just a different ap approach with terminal tackle fishing, um, you're going to have a, a solid foundation beneath you versus um, just picking up a spay rod, which I own. I fish with them. Um, nothing against spay rods at all. But uh, but I do notice that, that the, the folks that just went straight to the spay rod, they generally aren't as effective um, at, at covering the water and, you know, particularly the little nuanced spots as, as the folks that have learned, uh, come from, a, you know, the terminal background. Yes. And so as my people that fish with me, I'll say, Brad, you know, I want to bring my son or my grandson or granddaughter, grand, you know, their daughter fishing, you know, how old do they have to be? 
I say, well, you know them better than I do. And you know what the waiting is like, because on the lower hundred miles of the shoots, <laughs> there's no fishing from a boat and it's all waiting. And uh, it can be a little bit of a challenge. And I said, so, you, you know, you know what the waiting's like, and then you know what the fishing's like. Okay. So it's not like we're catching 20 steelhead in a day. I mean, not that I haven't done that, but uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and so we want to make sure that that young person has a really good experience to where they're not afraid to wade in the water and they're falling in all the time. Uh, we want to make sure that they don't get bored uh, as far as not catching a steelhead. Um, there's some female chubs at a spot that I, I uh, park my boat and, and fish and, and have lunch. And uh, I will throw some, uh, you know, pieces of cookie or bread or whatever. And the, the female chubs just, just are thick in there. Well, one of my one of my client's son was, I don't know, 11 plus or minus a little bit. And he had been fishing with us and he's caught steelhead before. But uh, he spent over an hour with my net trying to net these female chubs. Okay. And so it doesn't matter as long as people are having fun. Um, that That's what it's about and getting them outside. Absolutely. Um, are you seeing more smallmouth bass? Aren't there smallmouth and largemouth bass in, in the lower river now? So um, there's only been run, one report of a largemouth bass. My friend uh, Forrest caught, had his client caught that. And it was probably an, an escaped largemouth. There's some uh, private water ponds, little lakes uh, upstream and in the mopping area. And something probably happened there and it, it floated on down. And uh, that's been the only largemouth I've heard of. There are some smallmouth bass and they've migrated from the Columbia River. And that has to do with the change of the operation of the uh, dams uh, that are owned by Portland General Electric. So the water is warmer certain times of the year. And those fish migrate out of the Columbia and up into the Deschutes. And there's some days that, independent on the conditions, time of year, that maybe, you know, I might catch six to 12 wow. smallmouth bass in the river. Um, but then as the water cools down, those fish leave. The smallmouth have been in the Columbia for many years. And I think if they were to be established into the Deschutes, they already would have been there. Uh, I, I think the first smallmouth bass that I had a guy catch was after the 96 flood. And so whether that was something that came from, you know, upstream, say out of, out of the Roundview project, or it actually migrated from the Columbia, but, um, yeah, it has to do with the change of operation of the dam that started, I believe, in 2009. The selective water withdrawal, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, they're taking water off the top of Round Butte Reservoir instead of the bottom like they used to. And so, I mean, that's a that's a topic for a whole nother, yeah, uh, another I mean, podcast. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we're seeing um, the uh, smallmouth. I did have a client catch a walleye. And uh, so that was probably a little more disturbing than the smallmouth. But uh, they they move they move out. Uh, I think that the the type of uh, bottom structure in the river is not conclusive for uh, smallmouth to spawn. And like I say, they would have been there already because they've been in the Columbia. They're of course in the John Day, and um, so yeah, it, it's it's concerned. But I I think that well I know the Deschutes has uh, bigger issues in the smallmouth bass. There's no reason to panic. The smallmouth no, are not taking over. No, not over. because of the smallmouth. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's funny. Around here, it's the it's the pike that all the the trout right. anglers get super nervous about. But I think these pike have been in a lot of these rivers for 20 years, and uh, and the trout fishing's 
really good and uh, and it's fun to have an opportunity to catch pike too. So, sure, right. Uh, they seem to coexist for the most part. It would seem so. In the off season, um, you uh, host some really cool international travel adventures. That baby tarpon um, excursion to Campeche that you mentioned, yeah. and some others. Can you uh, can you tell me a little about that outfit? Yeah, and so um, as I mentioned before, I'd, I'd gone to Belize in 1987, and I've tried to fish. Well, I have fished internationally. Um, since then on my own. And then in 2010, I went to work for a company called Fishing with Larry. It was started by Larry Schoenborn. Larry Schoenborn and his family had uh, four different uh, sporting goods stores in the Portland, Oregon metro area. And he also had a TV show that he started and he fished at about 330 uh, different destinations around the world. And so what would happen is, is that he, you know, have the, you know, the TV program would, would air and then uh, somebody would call the store and say, hey, I want to go where you were at. And it was like, all right. So he turned him on to um, the lodge. Well, then he started figuring out that maybe he could make some money doing that. Right. And so then he started the Fishing with Larry uh, travel agency. And uh, so we represent lodges and you know, worldwide, mostly from North to South America. And I say Russia to Argentina and then uh, Christmas Island and then a little bit in the Bahamas. And so we're, we're an agency similar to whether it be Yellow Dog, the fly shop out of California, um, Flywater Travel in Ashland. And uh, some of the others were, were not as big as they are. There's only two of us that, that do the selling. Uh, Guy Schoenborn, Larry's oldest son, is the one that owns it. And uh, Guy and I had also gone to high school together and same with his younger brother, Brad. And uh, so anyway, I went to work for them in 2010. And uh, so what we do is we represent the lodges. And uh, an easy way to put it is that we're like a travel agent for fishing lodges. And so we we have uh, our clients, our prospects, and we, we contact them. And, um, you know, we try to place them at these lodges and the lodges pay us a commission for doing that. And at times we go as a host and the host I tell people is uh, I'm there to make sure that their ice is cold and their ice cube is cold in their cocktail glass and that everybody's <laughs> having a good time. But no, there's times that, you know, I mean, we'll supply flies. Um, I've made an investment in fly rods and you know, reels lines to where, uh, you know, somebody wants to go to Christmas Island and they probably have an eight weight rod for bonefish but they're missing a 10 or a 12 weight for the fish for GTs. And it's like, well, I don't want to spend the three grand to go to Christmas Island plus airfare, plus hotel, plus tips and everything. And then spend another thousand to $1,500 to try to buy a, a 10 or 12 weight rod that I may never use. Again. So I've, I've made the investment and uh, I have this equipment uh, to where, okay, if you want to go on a hosted trip with me and you need, fishing rods, reels, lines, uh, flies, um, I can handle that. So that's been really good for me to be able to provide that for the anglers. Great. And you get to go to some pretty awesome spots in your off season. Go to some really cool places. I've been really fortunate and blessed. My life has uh, evolved in a way that I never thought it would. Um, and so my program is that I'm on the Deschutes River starting in June, and I go through about the 1st of November. And then uh, I usually go to Christmas Island. I was, you know, COVID, of course, has messed it up. But uh, I was supposed to, well, I'm scheduled to go to Christmas Island. 
I, I fish till Friday and then Monday I fly to Honolulu and uh, I have uh, 16 to 18 clients, hopefully going to be fishing uh, for bonefish and GTs and some trigger fish and other species at Christmas Island. Uh, first week in November. And then um, depending on what goes on with Argentina, I'm going to try to go down there and check out some lodges that I've had in, in, invites to go see in December. Um, and first of, see the 8th of January, I'm scheduled to be in the Amazon jungle of Brazil fishing for peacock bass with clients. Then I'm supposed to be back to Christmas Island for two weeks. And then I'm supposed to be in Argentina for almost a month fishing for Golden Dorado, which is one of my uh, favorite trips that I do. And uh, then I will be scheduled, then I'm going to uh, Campeche, Mexico for baby tarpon, uh, May 15th to the 21st, and possibly another week if, if I get that one filled and then uh, start to do shoots again and the cycle repeats itself. Uh, you know, people say, Brad, you know, you're, you're like a rock star, man. Yeah. And I go, yeah, I'm like a rock star. Okay. So I'm on stage with the hair to prove it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm on stage, I'm playing music and the girls are screaming and yelling, man. And it's a blast, right? Well, then the gig's over and you got to tear down all your equipment. You got to load it in a van. You got to drive eight hours with five guys you're tired of hanging out with. Try to get some sleep. <laughs> set it all up and get back on stage. So, um, you know, it's not as glamorous as it sounds, but then again, it's been an amazing adventure. Um, I, if everything goes as planned, I'll be 62 in June and, um, I'm not planning on retiring. It's, uh, you know, the, the fishing business is my life. Uh, the, the great people and friendships that, um, I have, uh, acquired, from uh, this business is going to be amazing. And I guess while I'm thinking about that, I have a something that is cut out. Uh, I, I copied out of a book that one of my clients wrote about his uh, fishing adventures through the years. He's been to the uh, Amazon jungle in Brazil, I think about 14 times. But this, this really um, is very important to me. And it's called Final Thought. Yes, it was long ago. But what else we but what else have we but memories? For all of life is divided into two parts: anticipation and memory. And if we remember richly, we must have lived richly. So that was taken out of a book by Louis Lamar um, off the Mangrove Coast in 2000. But uh, my client slash friend put that in his book, and that really hit home to me. Um, you know, it's the anticipation of the trip that we're doing and whether it's to your local stream or lake or pond that, you know, you're getting your stuff ready and you throw it in the back of the truck or the car and away you go, or it's for an international destination and, uh, you know, you're getting your flies ready and you're making sure you have the right lines and, you know, all your, you know, your plane tickets. And so that's the anticipation of the trip. And then when you go on these trips and hopefully you have these memories that will last you the rest of your life and you can share those experiences with your friends. Um, no, I think, you know, it's a really special deal. Yeah, no doubt, man. That's a great quote. I love it. Um, and yeah, that's spot on. It's when I, I don't get to travel much. I, I, I do. I love to fish locally now too. I'm just focusing on spending more. There's so much stuff around me that I haven't even got to. So I'm just trying to focus on, 
exploring around around just Western Montana again. Um, so yeah, like you said, it doesn't matter if I'm going to some little stream to look for pike that I heard about that I'm tying flies prior and you're thinking about it, you're getting your gear ready and that's the anticipation. And uh, yeah, like you said, it, it doesn't matter the length of the trip. It all has, they all have the same components. Yeah. And so people ask me, they'll say, well, what's your favorite trip and, or what's your favorite fish to catch? And I start off and, and usually I get that ask that question asked to me when we're on the Deschutes and I go, well, summer steelhead. And they go, no, man, you're saying that just because we're here. I go, no, I'm telling you, you know, a summer steelhead and or a steelhead in general has everything you want in a fish. I mean, they, they, they bite well, they make long runs, they jump, they have stamina, and uh, they look awesome when you put, you know, get them out of the water. Um, where like a bonefish, uh, they don't bite real hard, but they make a hell of a run, but they're not going to jump. And uh, <clears throat> you know, a tarpon, pound for pound, compared to a steelhead, uh, is not going to make a long run, but they jump, 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 and bite well. And but anyway, I have you know they say, well, what about your international destination? I go, well, I have four, not in any order, but um, I'll just start out with you, Justin, saying that I, I really enjoy fishing the Yucatan Peninsula for baby tarpon, and uh, I've been fortunate to catch large tarpon and large tarpon on flies and. A large tarpon on gear, but I like the, the smaller tarpon and I like where they live and I like what it takes to catch those on flies. Yep. And uh, then the other the other trip I enjoy is fishing in Brazil in the in the Amazon uh, for peacock bass. There's also many other species there. And, um, you know, part of it is maybe not necessarily the peacock bass, but when you think about where you are, which is in the middle of nowhere in the Amazon, and uh, you know the the wildlife that's there, the birds. Uh, that's really special. Uh, my other one is in southern Argentina at Jurassic Lake, where there's huge trout. Uh, the fishing conditions are are really rough at times. Uh, you're 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 wading in the in the lake, and in the lake, uh, the water's probably 47 degrees. Uh, the wind blows most of the time, so the casting is difficult, but the rewards are great. You have opportunity to catch a trout up to 20 pounds, and they're beautiful looking fish. I've never caught one that big, but they're definitely available. Uh, and then just being in that whole area is, is really special. And then the other one is in northern Argentina, north of Buenos Aires, fishing for Golden Dorado. And they're an absolute amazing game fish. And uh, they hit flies well. And they jump, and uh, they're they're also just beautiful looking fish. So those are, you know, I've been like I say, fortunate. I've probably gone to about sixty-five to seventy lodges throughout my life, um, personally, and then also now professionally. But uh, those four trips really stand out. And on on in Argentina on the Dorado front, don't you fish the Paraná River some? Yes, and so it's all in the Paraná River system where I've been. Um, there's some other fishing um, north of there uh, at Salto. I have not been there, but yeah, on the Paraná River, and I fished uh, in the Corrientes area. Um, I've also fished in the Ibarra Marsh, uh, which is a really, really special place. Uh, but the majority of the trips that I'm hosting are in the lower river um, in, in the Delta area kind of the biggest city there would be rosario and uh so it's about three hours north of buenos aires uh driving to get there 
Yeah, I uh, I had a chance to fish that river one time, um, and I remember we were having lunch on this little island, and I got out and I was I was wade fishing. There was these dorado were hidden right underneath the surface and like right at the outer edge of my casting range. So I was trying to wade out a little further, and the guide hollered at me to come in, and that's when yeah. he, he told me about those stingrays that are in there. Yeah, have you ever seen one of those things? Um, no, I have not seen those, but they are there. Uh, all of my fishing in that, in that river system has been from boats. So, um, yeah, I, maybe, maybe that's why, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, but it, it's a, it's a great fishery. Yeah. Super cool. I, I would, I, I would love to come back and, and go check that out again. We, we were there during really adverse conditions. It just been pouring rain for, week on end or something and it was still real muddy and we we did catch some fish but it would be really fun to fish that under under prime conditions right and so the paraná river is the second largest river in south america next to the amazon uh river system and so it's a huge i mean it's like fishing the columbia river right and uh but then there's other areas in like this this lower uh, place where I'm talking about in the I guess they call it the delta is is that there's just these massive wetlands area and yeah you can fish where the river's fairly good size but then again you get to where there's these little creeks and channels and uh, so it, it's it's really really a special place. Very cool. Um, is is Larry still alive? So Larry passed away in 2011. Okay, I was gonna say we most of us that are from Oregon grew up with that show, and uh, yeah, when you mentioned, I didn't realize that you um, you worked for his family, worked with his family, but um, yeah. Okay, anyway, go ahead. I was, I was yeah. So anyway, yeah. Unfortunately, he had a rare blood uh, cancer, and uh, he stuck it out for a long time. And uh, but yeah, then he passed away in 2011. And as I mentioned, his oldest son, uh, Guy Schoenborn, uh, has the company Fishing with Larry. And there's, I think, about six of us that, that work at that company. Uh, just him and I do this, the sales. And uh, so my my typical day when I say that, you know, I tell people that I'm not on location, which would be on the, <laughs> on the river or the lake or whatever I'm doing, is, is that you know, I'm up usually about five in the morning, plus or minus a little bit. And maybe try to exercise. And then I'm sitting at my desk and, um, in a normal world prior to COVID, uh, I started a, and I go to Z and, uh, I dial for dollars. You know, I'm, I'm contacting people and saying, Hey, we visited a year ago or six months ago. Uh, you were interested in, in going, you know, uh, blue water fishing. You wanted to try to catch a Marlin or Dorado or tuna or something. And, um, you know, I send out information to the lodges that we represent and then follow up, uh, just like, you would selling lumber and a lot of my a lot of my clients um you know are in the lumber business and that's what they call it dialing for dollars and so i'm on a phone and a computer uh you know trying to make things happen so well gotcha i'm sure you need to get back to that but before i let you go um what are the best years that you can recall on the deschutes like your three best seasons in terms of fish numbers you know, I can't really remember the years. Uh, it would have been in the 90s and uh, yeah, even in the 2000s, we had some really good fishing. I, w- I will just say that in the last about five years, we've noticed a big decline. And uh, that's due to various reasons. 
And it's not just a Deschutes issue because it's gauged by how many fish are in the Columbia River system. So we look at how many fish come over uh, Bonneville Dam. And so when we had good fishing, we had 340,000 steelhead that passed Bonneville Dam. Uh, last year, we had a little over 100. I, I don't think we reached 120, but uh, it was o- over 100. We, we, 120,000? Yeah, it was versus all. Versus 300,000 on the good years? 350,000 was on good years, yeah. You know, and I tell people, I go, look, it's not, it's just not the Deschutes. If they're not in the Columbia, they're not going to be in the Deschutes. Okay. It's not just the John Day or the Grand Ron or the Clearwater or the Snake or the Salmon. If they don't swim in the Deschutes, they're not going to be in those other river systems. Yeah, I mean, sorry. Yeah, if they don't swim into the Columbia, they're not going to be there. And so, you know, I, I try to, you know, I'm a real positive guy, but I'm also realistic. And so there was, I had some guys at the end of October and uh, I said, okay, there's, you know, there's, we haven't been getting a lot of fish. Um, but there's fish around and we need to fish it hard and we need to fish it fast. So we're going to start here and we're going to move, we're going to step, we're going to cast and we're going to keep moving downstream and then we're going to move to another spot. And I said, if we're lucky, if you look upstream a mile and you look downstream a mile, there's five fish in this section. And it's like, no, I, okay, let's do the math. The shoots is a hundred miles long. Okay, it's October. They've been counting fish since April. So they have to go into the Hood River, the Klickitat, the Deschutes, the John Day, up to the Yakima, all the way to Grand Ron, Umatilla, into Idaho. And we have 90,000 fish or 95,000 fish over Bonneville Dam. And now it's October. They started in April. Really, do the math. It's not like we have... 15 fish in front of the boat and down river a little bit on their side, there's another 15 fish. And across from there, there's another 15 fish. If you really do the math, you realize that there isn't that many around. But that being said, if you're the lucky guy or lady that hooks into that fish, then congratulations. You've had a great day. Right. Well, on that note, does uh, fly or lure color matter? So they definitely matter, uh, both uh, <laughs> on the fly and lure. And um, you know, on the lures, I've I, I use, of course, some different ones. Uh, you know, black, gold, uh, red, blues uh, would probably be copper, depending on the time of year. Silver, depending on the time of year. And uh, then the flies, yeah, green, purple uh orange red uh, blues blacks um can be really good i've i mean there's people that do really well on more natural colors i just have never had that much confidence in them and uh so you know i'm using pinks and purples and and more brighter colors yeah except for then except for then you know we'll go to black and you know a darker purple say later in the year so you like to fish dark later in the year Generally speaking. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I mean, depending on what goes on, I, I have some tube flies that I like that are orange and uh, red or, you know, black and, and, and blue or, or black for flies. Gotcha. And then um, 
As far as uh, as the fish numbers and in, in the fishery go right now, like last year there was big, there wasn't a lot of fish, but there was big fish. So that's a that's a pretty fair trade off. Yeah, and that's a, a good sign. I, we haven't caught larger steelhead, and I'm going to say in the teens for probably I'm just going to guess about eight years. And all of a sudden last year we started getting fish that were, you know, it was like. 13 to 14 and then pretty soon they're bigger they're the 15 to me i didn't get one 17 but friend of mine um he got one that was over 20 uh so it's really good to see those fish coming back and and those fish are heading to idaho and same thing there's various reasons as to why there's a decline of them but uh you know people would ask me okay brad what's the best time to come fishing on the deschutes and i would say october oh we catch more fish then no there's generally less people, which of course has changed. Generally less people. We see more animals, and you have a chance of catching a big steelhead. But that being said, you know those bigger fish went away. But last year was a really good sign to see them coming back. So the prediction, and of course we know what those are like. Uh, the prediction is for uh, these larger fish to make uh, more of an appearance this year than they have the last few years. Ooh, good to hear. Well, awesome, yes. man. Let's hope that's yes. let's hope that's yes, accurate hope so. and the trend continues. Yeah. Yep. No, the Deschutes River is is my life. It's a really, really special place. We need to make sure that it's taken care of well and protect it. And uh, you know, I, I try to stress that to the my guests that come with me. Yep. Yep. We all know you've always been a, a real advocate for the river um, for a long time. So appreciate that. And one of these days, I'm gonna. Find my way into one of your cancellations and getting that jet boat with you, man. I've never been on, I've never been on a jet boat in the lower in the lower six miles. Yeah, I would really really enjoy that. Be super fun, man. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, um, and uh, best of luck with everything. And we'll be in touch, Brad. Thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on the February Room. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.